This is episode number 20 of the Abuse Talk podcast with me, Jennifer Gilmore. Welcome to the Abuse Talk podcast. My name is Jennifer Gilmore and I turned my mess into a message. I'm an author and advocate for women in abusive relationships and promote that together we are louder. Each fortnight there is a new episode on the Abuse Talk podcast featuring a series of interviews with those that work in the domestic abuse sector, getting an inside feel for what it's really like in their job role and sharing it with all of you. There's also a chance for you to join in the discussion by leaving a voice recording a message so that we can share together in the discussion. Before we get started, I want to say a huge thank you to Rockpool. They're the main sponsors for Abuse Talk, and you can find out more about them at rockpool.life. Rockpool provides industry-leading training and consultancy services for organisations that support people who have been affected by trauma. And today we're actually speaking with Sue Penner, who's the Chief Creative Director of Rockpool. So I'm really excited about this interview and I hope you enjoy it. I also want to say a big thank you to patrons Susan Rahima, Katrina Hay and Dion Marsden. They support me over on patreon.com and you can check out the Abuse Talk tier over there. Just find it at patreon.com forward slash Jen L Gilmore and you can gain exclusive news behind the scenes access and all the updates you need to know before everybody else. So do have a look over there. And also, a quite an exciting one really, is that the new website has launched and they were the first people to find out and have a look at it. And you can check it out now at www.abusetalk.co.uk. And that's a new website, which I am so excited about. It has all of the past podcast episodes on there information about the Twitter chat and of course the forum. So have a look and let us know what you think. Welcome everyone to the next hashtag abuse talk interview and I'm delighted to have the lovely Sue Penner with me today. Um, You may remember her actually because we did a random, (laughs) complete random recording of a conversation we had to do with the coronavirus outbreak but in regards to what we can do as neighbours and as um, friends or you know sort of in the area community members um during lockdown you know to sort of look for signs and symptoms really of what abuse would look like and sort of recognizing so you can have a look at that I'll pop the link in the description so you can check that video out it was only a 15 minute quick one wasn't it so when we've made a blog post from it since and I think people found it quite useful so um but today this is what we've been meaning to do for quite some time, <laughs> but we've just never been able to get around to it. And obviously lockdown has given us all this time to be able to do those jobs. And I am honoured, to be honest, Sue, to have you on the podcast. Um, as you know, I've got a, it's a very personal um, part of my journey to have you involved. So I want to quickly read out um, a bit of background on Sue. <laughs> to keep... I don't know what's coming. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. Well, hopefully you've heard it before. <laughs> but we want, I just wanted to get everybody up to speed so everybody knows um, a bit about you. So I'm just going to read this. 
So in 20, uh, 2007, Sue wrote her first program based on trauma-informed cognitive behavioural therapy designed to provide support and assist the recovery of the women she was supporting. She felt that many existing services pigeonholed people as the damaged victims rather than offering them a pathway towards hope, empowerment and recovery. The programme developed into training for frontline staff to help support adults and children who had suffered domestic violence or other forms of abuse. And after 10 years delivering the programme, Sue felt there was a, still a huge audience that she was reaching. So Rockpool was the solution. And Rockpool, I'm sure many have heard about Rockpool already because they're the main sponsor of Hashtag Abuse Talk. So I want to say a big thank you to that, you know, that side of things. Um, and it wouldn't really be able to run in the same way. So I think it's important now that Sue briefly sort of takes us a little further forward and tells us a bit about Rockpool. Yeah, so Rockpool, as you said, came about because, um, well, fundamentally, I started to think about wanting to retire. I mean, that sounds a bit <laughs> daft, but I'd been traipsing around the country uh, for over 10 years delivering recovery toolkit group training to people. And um, that was getting a bit tiring, just the travelling. And, and it suddenly dawned on me one day that if I stopped then actually all those people that were already delivering the program would get no further support with it and that actually it would just it, we wouldn't be training any new facilitators um i'd worked with kirsty previously um she also had been um made redundant from her work within a local authority and we just thought she's younger than me we just thought why don't we get together and look at how we could train more people which is what what we've done fundamentally so we've also so we have a, a wonderful team of associates that do a lot of the training, but it's also given me opportunity to deliver, to, to develop not just uh, the book, which came about as a part of the of the um, of the domestic abuse toolkit, but also be able to focus on some work around adverse child experiences and sort of a mm -hmm. bit more work around helping families who have had quite chaotic early lives as well. So that's Rockpool, yeah. In, no, that's great. Thank you. So what was um, your original vision um, with Rockpool um, and are you fulfilling it now or still working towards fulfilling it? I think, I mean, COVID has got in the way, you know, mm -hmm. and so uh, for us, it's, it's, uh, it's a difficult time because most of our training and fundamentally, I believe it's the best sort of training is face to face in the rooms with people because if we're healing, you know, my, my theory being that not just my theory, other people's theories, but the theory being that actually what individuals have experienced domestic abuse end up with is this thing that loosely is complex trauma. So the impact of the trauma um, leads people to have changed maybe the way they think about themselves and changed the way um, that they view the world. So one of the difficult things is that I think what we do with our talk is, is we challenge people's traditional thinking about how you support people that have experienced domestic abuse. So we say, actually, you could do it a bit differently. And that, that's really important that we're often in the room to do that. So we're having to think about, and we have done it with Rockport. Over three years, we've trained hundreds and hundreds of people, and it's been really, it has been going really, really well. Um, we're having to now think about how we might do that differently in the future. So it's a really challenging time, I think. 
Does that yeah, answer the question, yeah. Jennifer? We sort of yeah. are, we're going there. We're, we're going to be okay, you know, but it's just we're having to rethink things a bit. Yeah, no, I think it is um, a case of adapting, isn't it? But as you say, in-person training and you know is is very different isn't it and yeah. I mean even doing zoom calls in the day you can just get exhausted from yeah. looking at a screen and it's this different sort of tiredness isn't it so mm. so I don't and I find these much more stressful than I do being in a room full of 100 people because <laughs> like, I think you, you get you can pick up the sense in the room when you're training people and you can pick up the non-verbal cues and yeah and humor you know I quite like using humor when I'm training um it doesn't work on zoom in quite the same way and people are sort of interrupting if you're a large group of people so it's it is really difficult but I think we have to be also realistic about how we how we access people in the future yeah well um I have um asked people to send in questions around you know recovery um but before we go into them I would like to find out what recovery means in terms of recovering from domestic abuse or trauma. So what do you, what would you say it looks like? What's the outcome? I think for me, it it looks like just being able to get on with your life, really. Mm. And I think that's what, you know, taking, because my background is sort of a bit in mental health and a bit in DV, taking that and looking at it from the, which I do really believe it is complex trauma for so many, many many years women and men get misdiagnosed and mislabeled and written off and and um and, and treated as they you know they were actively making choices well you're not actively making choices when your whole thought processes are altered by the conditioning and the brainwashing that you're going through as part of the abuse mm-hmm. so for me the 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 it's, it's people like yourself jennifer it's those emails i get from people saying they're back at work They've got a new relationship that's healthy. Mm. They're having fun with the kids. They're uh, learning a new skill. It's 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 people being able to free that voice and people being able to just have the lives they're entitled to. Yeah, I think that's, yeah. I don't know, that's not a technical description of recovery. But that's what, <laughs> what it means for me. No, that, I think you know that's what what's important because when you probably look at the terminology of recovery, people are thinking of maybe everything's gone in the past. You know yeah. that you're, you're completely healed, and that's not necessarily my view on it. Mm. Um, I would say that you put things into place to be able to take you know steps forward um, and to be able to have yeah. times of happiness and it not consume you yeah. um, but I think there is this thing around social media about you know you sort of go through a program or I um, mean you come out completely a different person for me yeah. that's you know that that's not how it is is it um, and that's no, not how I, we should sell it I think if you've had trauma which is what mm. how, how I view this then it doesn't go away. It, in fact, it becomes and can inform part of the new you. When you're in it and it feels rotten and it is horrible, it's hard to imagine that. But, um, but I think that I hope what we do in our programmes is we help people put that in a box somewhere, that trauma. It doesn't mean when we're not stressed or triggered or worried that will rear its head. But what we give people is some techniques so that they can go, oh, that's that. It's opened the mm. lid. I'm going to put the lid back on it again because mm. I think that's the skill that's not taught so it becomes overwhelming for people if they if they get symptoms again or they get to mm. feel distressed or they start to hear the voice of the perpetrator 
what they think is that then they're, they're not all right but they you are all right these things just would always come up in lives they're, they're sort of part of what forms the fabric of our personality yeah but we can we can we can adapt so that we're managing them rather than the symptoms are managing us yeah i like that 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 pretty much sums it up for me really yeah. um no thank you um so let's get into some of these questions um and i know you've seen a couple of the questions um i've received um, messages with some in as well so how do you recover when your abuser has your children and abuses them as well i think i, I think this is an incredibly difficult position i think I, I think what also that question alludes to is a bit of the post you know the the post separation abuse that goes on because mm. what we know is that even when families are separated that the perpetrator will use the children or the courts or whatever mechanisms they've got to stop somebody and to continue to abuse somebody because they haven't won so they're still trying to find their position i think recover recovery as i've just described it to you in those terms is really really difficult at that point mm. i think you're still at the point where this is happening where actually you're recording everything that happens you're making sure that you keep a diary of events that you're collecting your evidence about what um, that you can do you 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 find yourself a good advocate you get you know you try and link in with the domestic abuse services in your area that can support you um and i i don't i, I think it's it's incredibly difficult when you witness your children being hurt by somebody who um i remember working um with somebody once who who the only solution to it was was not to see their children that to actually, because every time they saw their children, that made it more difficult for them with the person they were living with, who was the primary abuser. Yeah, and it's. But I don't know. I don't. I think this is one of those. I don't know that there's a. Um, I think all all you can do is make yourself as healthy as possible in that situation. So there is a need to think about your self care and your eating and making yourself as strong as possible to be there for your kids when you can be. Mm. Um, and being that, being as strong as you can be without taking on the perpetrator. Because if you take on the perpetrator, it will exacerbate it. Yeah, I mean, I in mean, the instant of handing over children or anything, that's what I mean. I don't mean you shouldn't go down yeah. criminal proceedings. I mean, you know, actually, when you have to have contact or when you're having contact yeah um i mean they have recognized you know because the next question went on which you've kind of covered is the recovery during extended and relentless per separation abuse so obviously recognizing that that's what's happening yeah. Um, yeah. and perhaps it's that there's not i don't know that support or they're trying to find it yeah. um which i think is quite difficult i don't know um how, how you feel about it i think it's different when you are looking for advice or services but the amount of times that i've had to signpost somebody to a local service because yeah. they can't find it or yeah. um it's almost like you have to really search for that kind of information or get the right support because not yeah. always will one service be the right fit if okay. that makes sense um so i find that quite difficult as well um and i think there is there is amongst a lot of agencies this myth, myth myth about if you're separated it's stopped and it's over a we know it's the most dangerous time mm. that actually people that have left abusive relationships are more at risk of being hurt at that time so it's mm. really dangerous 
And there's this mythology that the abuse stops and the abuse does not stop, mm. particularly when there's children. And um, I know that there's, there's been lots of um, uh, stuff, particularly on Twitter recently, about the family courts. And I'm not an expert in the family courts and I wouldn't purport to be. But I know from reading all the anecdotal stuff and reading people's Twitters and blog posts that it, family courts seem to have very little understanding about mm. what abusive behaviour is and, and make all sorts of really bizarre decisions about who has children and who children have to see. They don't mm. really listen to the voice of the child, I don't think. I'm not sure that's a politically correct thing to have said. But I'm not I'm <laughs> fundamental safeguarding children requires us to listen to the voice of the child. Mm. But I have to say that quite often neither the family courts or Kafkas listen to the voice of the child. Mm. Children clearly saying they don't want to go with one parent, they don't want to be with one parent. And what's really alarming is that in recent years we've had this uh, growth of this thing called parent alienation syndrome. It, I don't know where it well, I know where it came from. It came from America. There is no evidence for parent alienation syndrome. It doesn't exist. It was set up by somebody who had their own gripe to, you know, and they, I think it's I think it's gonna be like years ago when I was working in therapy, there was this thing called false memory syndrome. And I worked a lot with adults that have been sexually abused as children. And there was this false memory syndrome thing. It's not true. We as therapists were putting ideas in people's heads, we were creating it, there was no such thing. It was going to court, people were losing cases about childhood abuse because of false memory syndrome. And only last year, the whole thing's been discredited, completely discredited. But you'll still hear people talking about it because it's dripped into that mythology yeah. of sexual abuse work that it doesn't exist. Yeah. And I and think it's quite dangerous, isn't it, really? It's really dangerous, Jennifer. And I think the same is going to happen with parent alienation syndrome because I think it, 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 um, there are some parents who have, uh, without domestic abuse or for whatever reason, don't want their children to see the other person. Maybe they have an affair with a friend of theirs or, you know, whatever. And that's wrong. But children mm. do have the right to see both parents. Mm. Well, not when there's violence and abuse going on. Yeah. And I mean, I think even if they did listen to the child's voice, it's not always clear, is it? Because the, there's go, there are going to be children that are concerned that this information gets back to the yeah. perpetrator, yeah. you know, yeah. and then they're scared to even share. And it's recognising those signs as well. And clearly the systems aren't equipped with that. And, and what, what a child, same as a parent will do, because of the conditioning of living in an abusive relationship, mm. a child will look pleased to see the person that's hurting them. Because what that child is doing is trying to protect themselves. So my, mm. what I know is I'm eight years old, and what I know is if I don't look pleased to see the person that hurts mum and me, is they will hurt me. So yeah. I'm going to look thrilled to see them because that's what they want to see and I'll do what they want. And that is so often misinterpreted by people that work with those children as they're fine, they're quite happy. And it's true and it's, this needs talking about more really, doesn't mm. it? Um, right. What I would say to that caller is, and I'm not, really I'm not trying to flog, flog my book, but actually if you are post-abuse but you're still experiencing that that abusive relationship post-abuse this can help because there mm. are some techniques in the toolkit book that will give you some inner 
strength a bit more, build you up a bit more to be able to manage what's happening. I think. Yeah, do, you know, yeah. do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I was, I was yeah. going to move on to, on to anyway. <laughs> You're too good <laughs> moving ahead. Um, so I've had a few questions um, from one person. Um, so I'm just going to try and read out the full message because I think it brings everything. So hopefully you'll be able to focus on that okay. too. I might just take um, some notes. What I've learned doing Zooms is that I don't have a very good memory. Um, <laughs> and I, get asked, I was on a, a local TV station and they were asking things and I'm thinking, oh, that's really important. I must mention that in the minute when they ask me. And then they asked me and I forgot. So yeah, got some things down. No, that's no problem. Um, so I'm 22 and been in a relationship for three years and lived with that person as well until December. So it was very toxic and abusive and I didn't know that at the time. I um, had to hide it all the time. So now I'm alone and that's fine. So I think this person is obviously very confused and upset. Um, but my question is, how do you stop caring about him after the relationship ends? And I don't mean romantically or whatever, because that's not the case anymore. I mean, how do I stop caring and worrying about what he's doing and who will be the next one? And what if somebody else goes through it? So can you break that one? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm, I'm well done for, you know, getting out and moving on and recognising the, the romantic bit, because I think that can catch people sometimes too. Mm. I think that um, part of the reason we often end up caring about somebody, if I, if I look at it from two perspectives, what, one is that you didn't start, the, we don't start these relationships because we don't care, we don't fall in love. If, if they were abusive and toxic at the beginning we, we wouldn't go back for the second date so mm. i hope so what happens is we fall in love with somebody and that person is wonderful and and sometimes it happens just because we're at a vulnerable point in our life so they feel even more vulnerable because we're a bit messy at the time and or something's happened to us and this person's come along and they're wonderful and kind what happens in the process of the abuse though as it develops is that they sort of start to make us responsible for the way they feel so they sort of start to say things like uh, when something goes wrong or when they're angry or when they are controlling that they wouldn't have to do it if we were different. It's your fault I have to. I'm only doing this for you. It's your fault that I have to do these things. Um, and, and part of our head is like, well, that's not true, but it's a real struggle. You're saying it is. I don't think it is, but I love you and maybe you are right. And what happens is it changes the way that we think and we start to feel that we're the person that is responsible for the abuse, that we're the person that's responsible for what's happening. Um, and actually we're responsible for them because if it wasn't for us, they would be less tired, less stressed, less emotional, drink less, take less drugs because they're telling us all the time that that's part of the reason they're doing these things is a way of managing mm. us. We upset them. So it's really common to leave a relationship that's been abusive and still feel hooked in in that way to that, um, that somehow we, can, we could have helped them, we could have rescued them. So some individuals that are abusive are abusive because they know no better. And, and I do believe that, that if they've grown up with trauma in their own childhood, if resolving the trauma in their childhood was by violence or controlling people, they're actually just doing, they're hurt. They're hurt themselves. And I think there's a theory that says as, as um, that we respond to that hurt child in them, that we, that we want to make them better. And you hear women say that all the time. 
if only I could help them because they hurt too and it's not their fault. You, but you can't do that. The mm. only person that can change that at the end of the day is by them deciding they don't want to be like that anymore and they can change it. So, uh, yeah, I think the only thing you can do about stopping worrying about them is, is just keep saying to yourself, the responsibility lies with them, the responsibility lies right. with them. Whether they'll do it next time, reality is, what we know is that, you know, perpetrators do go on to the next relationship and do it again. But that again, that is, there's nothing you can do about that. Sometimes mm. you can, can, you know, if you've reported it to the police, then the police have some evidence. Um, but you can't be responsible for what someone does to the next person. Yeah. Um, she's gone on to ask, and I mean, I've, I'm, I know the answer to this, but would it be my fault for not speaking up and protecting the next person? And should I warn anyone new? It's not your fault. The abuse lies solely with the person that's being abusive. I think that that's a real guilt trip that's put on women particularly. Mm. If you don't report this, if you don't do something about it, then you'll be equally culpable for the next person. And that mm. really, really, really isn't true. I think in terms of reporting, um, it's, you know, it can be terrifying going to the police. The police may not take any action. I mean, it's worth talking possibly to, if you can find your local support service, if you're not already involved with them, because mm. they can provide intelligence to the police about people. Mm. Um, but it isn't, it isn't your responsibility. And I think people feel, if you're in that confused position where you're worrying about him, but also worried about who he might hurt, it's a it's a conflict. It's a real conflict between what to do. I would go on, Jen. For what we um, well, she she um she's asked quite a lot of questions, but it, you know one of the things that I think is probably linked to you know the, the sort of the recovery aspect is she's asking how do I even stop thinking about the next step? You know steps he's making, like who he's going to meet. You know so clearly she's you know feeling that this is what she's thinking about and she's really concerned and obviously gone through an experience that she doesn't want anyone else to yeah, go through yeah. um so how does she even switch off from that it's really challenging i mean one of the ways to do that is to report it is to find a friend to go with you and go to the police station and tell them about it and give them that intelligence they you know they may choose to act on that they may not um I think if that, I mean, there is a thing called Claire's Law now where people can, if, they, if the police have got the intelligence, we, we can phone up and ask the police, I've got a new boyfriend, are they known to anybody? Yeah. So, you know, you would be providing somebody with it. I think the other thing, though, is that um, it, because of the myths that are around about abuse, I'm trying to think how to say this, I think it's really hard uh to tell someone that that's what's going to happen because also other women will just say well they won't do it to me yeah may do it to you won't do it to me i mean and um, I, i've been in that situation where i felt you know that responsibility to warn i've never done it um thankfully i've got friends that have said you know just don't get involved you know and yeah. probably the best thing i could have done um because but really you're putting yourself more at risk aren't you you know 
Um, the best way to do it, if you're going to do it, is through is through the legal yeah. procedure or through a support. Not yourself. Wander up to someone <laughs> in a pub and say, "Do you know he's?" Because because a he, he you don't know what situation that would put him in with you and it put you at risk. But also yeah. the chances are of somebody believing you. They just see you as the ex girlfriend that's got sour grapes. Yeah, and they've potentially been, you know, they've gone through that beginning part of, I think, if I can think about it as what I was like at the beginning of the relationship and how it was, there's no really evidence that any of that's going to happen and you wouldn't necessarily believe it and maybe you're recruited into the system anyway. So it is really difficult. Um, As you've touched on, you've recently published a self-help book, which is the an adapted version of the 12 week recovery toolkit program. Mm-hmm. So I've got it here and you've got it there. There it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are the differences between the going on the program as a person and reading the self-help book? Okay. I, I, I mean, I, I, as I briefly touched on my, my training is as an occupational therapist and I was really, really lucky in my, uh, in my sort of clinical career to, to spend a lot of time working in groups with people. And I just think the power of working with other people that have been through the same experience of you is phenomenal. So mm. um, what the, and the group is, is very much about, as you've experienced Jennifer, it's not talking about what's happened to you in the past because it's a trauma informed mm. model. It's about moving forward with positive techniques and strategies. Um, there's too much emphasis, I believe, in allowing people to continually talk about the trauma and all the evidence is that the more you talk about the trauma, actually it just opens trauma pathways in your brain and makes it more difficult to shut them down. Um, and it's not helpful when working with trauma. That mm. It's the opposite effect, really. Um, so I think there's something about being in a group with other people, of shared experience, of looking around a room and going... Jesus, it wasn't just me this happened to. This was, and the same process has happened to all of us. The same things yeah. happened to us. We've been groomed into these relationships. The same things happened and there are some roots out of it. So I think that is, is for me, the best mm. thing. But the reality is there are men and women out there who, um, who have left relationships a long time ago and never going to contact an agency but are just left with some niggles about what happened to them. The book is useful for that. I think it's also, even if you you might have just left an abusive relationship and not have access to services, and the book will be helpful. I think the book is helpful for family and friends as well to understand why, to undo some of those myths about why you behaved the way you did when you were in that abusive relationship. I'd hope to maybe professionals, because I think there's an awful lot of professionals out there that don't understand the dynamics of abuse. They see it in a very sort of, linear way you know you're in that relationship then you're out of it and everything should be all right now and they have no idea of the you know the coercion and control the impact that has on people's mental health or so i think they're i think you know and i think you might read the book and then want to go on a group or you might go on a group and want the book as a top-up after Um, yeah it just felt like particularly in this time when we're not running groups as i just really weird I've been writing it for years and never really publishing it (laughs) get it out over COVID no it's it's definitely good timing and I think I've seen that there's been some groups that have had to stop part way so they've been able to then give the book to um, the women that were part way through the groups which is 
you know at least that's something to keep them going because yeah. when you're in the group you kind of look forward to yeah. that next week as you go along and it's kind of like a momentum that builds um that's how i felt anyway so we're certainly also looking at how we could put for the, some of the groups online you know mm. so some agencies that are really experienced in running it we're going to do some pilot work with them around can we run this group via zoom because we know none of us know how long we're going to be locked down and or if another lockdown will happen in 12 months time you know we live in mm. unprecedented times really I suppose if, if if I remember, you know, back to coming out of that relationship and I didn't go on to the programme until about nine months after and I just didn't have any friends and I didn't trust anyone to make friends and so I still think it would have been beneficial, you know, having it online and I'm just thinking about, yeah. you know, the situation of lockdown that people could have fled that relationship before and now they're even more isolated yeah. and yeah. don't have... That, that and I think there's a real I think there's a real worry about one I think we talked about this before but one is that the isolation of COVID can be triggering for people so it yeah. can set all that stuff off and the other is that this is a real time for your perpetrator to try and come back and charm you again because yeah. if you're feeling low and I think you know own it myself I, this is a struggle you know I have some days when I think yay this is a good day and there are other days where I don't want to move off my sofa because yeah. it feels that that oppression of of confinement yeah and i live in a lovely part of the world and i don't have small kids to look after and like you know i can walk out anywhere but i think it's weird you know it is having different effects on people and that's okay but if you've just left an abusive relationship and you're having one of those vulnerable days and up pops your ex-abuser going oh we could we could do it this time it'll be all right i won't do that again yeah or offer the help you know if i'm thinking I'll take of the, the kids off for a bit yeah i'll cook tea tonight well obviously um we've we've spoken a bit about recovery answers some of those questions um and you know for me it's quite you know clear on the recovery process now sort of coming good through the program and you know being years down the line um but do you think that there is a certain stage of their you know people's journey after abuse that they should be going on to the program because i think as soon as you come out of a relationship i'm not sure you'd be able to maybe well it's really it's interesting jennifer because when we first wrote it it got piloted um it was funded by job center plus in cornwall it was part of a you know getting people back to work thing um and quite a few did but we but we reviewed we um we evaluated it and I, when I trained the first bunch of facilitators, I said to them, the thing is, you need to, because there's an interview process before you come on the programme anyway, which mm. is part of the trauma-informed model. Um, but, um, so I said to them, do not take referrals from the IDVAs. Now, as you and other people might know, IDVAs, independent domestic violence advisors, work with very high-risk families. Mm -hmm. So they're working with the families that have just fled, that are being chased after, that are in real, you know, really high risk. Don't take them from the IDVAs, I said, because those, and we've piloted it with women. This programme is run with men and women, but initially we piloted it with them. Because those women will be too chaotic, it'll be too raw, they'll mm -hmm. have too much going on. And they won't manage to come for 12 weeks. So just don't take them. So of course they ignored me completely. <laughs> and they allowed the IDVAs to refer. And when we looked at the um, 
attendance, those women didn't drop out any more than any other women. Right. So it completely blew me because I was wrong. It actually, it's an individual thing. I don't think we can yeah. say. So it might not have been right for you. Some women straight out of an abusive relationship, it will be fine for. Which is why, and obviously we can't do this with the book because anyone can buy the book. Which yeah. is why in the group program, we everybody gets an interview first just to set, just so they know. So it's part of making people safe. So they know what's going to happen. And so they can make a choice about it because what we never ever want the program to be is something that people are sent on to get well. Yeah. It's, it's we give them the information about the program and they choose. No, that's perfect. No, thank you. So obviously the self-help book came out like last week, the week before. Mm. What's everyone's reactions been to it so far? I've had some great feedback on Amazon. Um, uh, people seem to like it. We've had a whole range of people that have uh, have shown an interest in it, from people that have been on the programmes and want to top up to uh, people that don't. I'm on local radio talking about it on Thursday. Uh, uh, yeah. And we're just sort of... We're, it's, we're, we're doing a really soft market approach because we don't have a... We don't have the mechanisms at Rockpool to do a sort of a, you know, hard market approach, whatever that is. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know how many copies, but I think, we've, I think sales are increasing. That's great. And um, I think, again, I think the thing that stands out for me with it is that the word that pops out in my head is that it's accessible because there's been so many people that have asked me what program have I been on uh, I've told uh, them and then I've looked in the area and it's not not available yeah, yeah. and um that's down to the the local organizations and authorities yeah. or even for me I'm in I'm in Hull so because I'm in Hull I, I, I accessed it but if I literally left the border which is half a mile down the road in East Yorkshire the council there I wouldn't have been able to go on to it because it wouldn't I mean be I mean what really what really frustrates me with it Jennifer is obviously we have to charge for people to come on the training to become facilitators because we have to make a living yeah. you know what I'd really like you know in my dreams big lottery would give me a bunch of money and I could we could just go and train people across the country to deliver the program you know and that would be like amazing because I I mean, I've, it does work. It does work, and it's the only program I think that 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 work that uses this trauma model um, with people and gives people what they need to recover and move forward, whatever that is for them. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd probably say that it's like a trailblazer, blazer, isn't it? That you're the you're the setter of you know you know the trauma side of it really because you don't see that i see well, more awareness yeah you're seeing more people talking about trauma and suddenly everyone's starting to think that they're becoming an expert in it which is alarms me a little bit <laughs> um but yeah we've, i mean i've just been like i say you know, i spent 10 years toddling around the country for me the thing that evidences the effectiveness of this program is one that people come back and for training for their organization so once they're running it when staff leave or new staff come they send them on the training because they believe in the program and they Mm. see such amazing results with the program and that 
for me indicates that it's, it is works. It does work. Mm -hmm. Otherwise they wouldn't do that. They would stop running it. Um, and we're, we have got, um, you know, I said to you about trying to put the program online, maybe, yeah. you know, and we just put out a very quick call for partners to come and work with us on that. And within two, you know, within 24 hours, I had enough people to work with. And they are, you know, and we wouldn't have had that if it didn't work, you know. Yeah. It, it sort of it would be hard, you know, we'd be, we didn't have to persuade anybody to come and work with us on it. They just went, yes, please, you know. Well, Sue, how do people find you online? Um, if anybody wants to ask you a question or get in touch with you personally, how can people find you? They can find me via the, the um, our website um, mm -hmm. or um, my email is um, sue at rockpool.life. It's hard to, for me to respond to individual uh, individuals, yeah. partly because I don't know the whole history of things. And, um, and I don't practice as a, as a, um, I'm not a practice, I'm not a practicing counselor or therapist anymore. So, yeah. um, I can't get involved in individual things, but, um, what I would say is we can signpost or we can, people can have a look at our resources. We've got loads of resources online. People can download and have a look at, there's a link through to the book. Um, yeah. and, and we're happy to do that. I don't, I just don't want people to feel that I could actually take them on as a, and help no, them. of course. I, I think. Don't, I don't have that ability. No, no, I completely agree. Um, but I just want to say anyway, a massive thank you for answering um, the questions. Obviously, yours and Rockpool's work changes people's lives. I wouldn't be doing what I do today without going on the programme myself um, and raising awareness this way. So if anybody hasn't heard about my journey with Rockpool and how I've sort of changed my life um, you can have a look I'll pop the link in the description to a video that I've recorded in the past and you can check that out it was a bit of an emotional recording that one <laughs> and I also want to thank everybody that sent in questions if you did have any further questions pop them to me and I can always forward them to Sue um, I'm sure that the self-help book though would be one thing to read especially during lockdown and I think that will answer many people's questions in terms of um, the recovery and the process. So thank you once again, Sue. I will let you go. You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> Always lovely to speak to you, Jen. Thank you. you. <laughs> oh. <laughs>well i hope you enjoyed that interview um, as we discussed recovering from trauma and sue answered all of those questions which was so important to get covered so thank you again to sue for joining us yet again on the podcast it was such a delight and to be honest this has been long overdue to have actually got together and talked about her work and what a perfect time to do it with the new publication out which is the recovery toolkit and you can find that on Amazon and if you didn't get the chance to hear I was actually a part of it and very honoured to be a part of it so you will find my anecdotes throughout that publication as well. Um, the, we're changing things a little bit on the podcast so we will still have interviews with professionals um, but we will be having conversations with people with real life lived experiences as well to give that awareness approach so we're going to be having 
one of the survivor stories and then one of the professional um, uncovering stories of what it's like in their job role. So you will see the next episode is due out in a couple of weeks and that is going to be the first episode that has this difference. So we'll be adjusting things at this end and hope to keep you up to date and hopefully it will all become clear for you. So have a look and keep tuned and if you wanted to get involved and to share your story please do get in touch with me at contact at jennifergilmore.com always reply to emails when I can so do drop me a line you have been listening to me Jennifer Gilmore author of Isolation Junction and Clipped Wings both are available on Amazon or you can head to jennifergilmore.com